People try to portray this image of perfection. But the truth is you do not relate to any single person through their success or through their perfection. You relate to other people through their struggle. Welcome to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. My name is Mike Flynn, and I'm stoked you've decided to join me on this journey to bring about a massive and positive change in the lives of others. Every week, you're going to join me behind closed doors, where I will introduce you to entrepreneurs, leaders, and innovators from a variety of industries to learn how their contributions are impacting the lives of others and how they are having a game-changing impact in the world. Thanks for investing your time with me today. Now, brace for impact. Welcome back to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. I am your host, Mike Flynn. And if you're just joining us, the mission of my podcast is twofold, to guide you to an encounter with your own potential and greatness, and to show you it is possible to leverage who you were made to be into a business or a platform that impacts the lives of others and helps you design the life that you want. My guests are entrepreneurs and leaders who have had what I refer to as an impact moment and are using their platform to have a game-changing impact in the lives of others. And each guest is part of a series, such as leadership, mindset, happiness, or in this case, the comeback. We are fascinated by the comeback, whether it is a video of a college athlete tripping on the track, getting back up and sprinting to the finish line for the win, or the underdog hockey team winning the big game when no one believed in them, or even an entrepreneur failing completely and then getting back up and going on to even higher levels of success and fulfillment. There are a few things in life that are universally true, but regardless of race, religion, or nationality, we love to celebrate people overcoming adversity and shutting down the naysayers. We love to see people bounce back and crush obstacles, face seemingly insurmountable odds head-on, and watch how a commitment to their vision, purpose, or mission propels them on to success after success. My hope is that the guests you will hear from these next few weeks will provide insights into what you are capable of achieving and remind you that the human spirit is powerful enough to overcome nearly any obstacle put in its path. The first guest in our series on the comeback is Jeff Woods. And if you've been listening to this show for a while, you probably recognize that name because Jeff was a guest on the show back in episode 19. And if you haven't heard his story, I encourage you to go back and listen to episode 19. But Jeff is the vice president of The One Thing. And after hearing the Jim Rohn quote that you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with, Jeff set out on a mission to surround himself with high-level CEOs and successful entrepreneurs. Now, fast forward just 10 months, Jeff went from the employee to entrepreneur to launching a company with the co-authors of the best-selling book, The One Thing. Those co-authors happen to be Gary Keller and Jay Papazon, Gary Keller being the founder of Keller Williams, the largest real estate company in the world. And Jeff has been featured in entrepreneur.com and is on a mission to teach people how to live life by focusing so that they can have more by doing less. Let me tell you something. Jeff is living proof of the power of taking action. 
And we go deep. Jeff gets vulnerable on this episode, and he tells some stories that he's never told before about growing up and and encountering adversity and how that equipped him to handle life as an entrepreneur, as a husband, as a father, and as a business partner. So bust out your pens and paper, take some notes, and brace for impact. Jeff Woods, welcome back to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. For those of you who are new to the Impact Entrepreneur Show or are just joining us, Jeff was featured back in episode 19 of the Impact Entrepreneur Show. So we are pumped to have him today. Dude, that was a long time ago. That was a long time ago. Well, thanks for having me again. I'm pumped. Yeah, I'm I'm excited today as well because you're going to be part of, I think, a very important series that I'm calling the comeback series. And we'll we'll get into that a little bit more detail in a moment. But I want to know, what was life as a kid for Jeff Woods? Was it a tough life? Was it easygoing or somewhere in the middle? And how has that influenced who you are today? You know, I think tough is relative. In many ways, it was cushy in the fact that I grew up in, you know, upper middle class in Southern California. Parents married love each other, active in my life and my sister's life. They were great role models. They instilled really solid values in us. I was surrounded by a great community. Yet, So that's the cushy side. But at the same time, going through elementary school, junior high, and even to an extent high school, there was definitely bullying that took place. So I was never 100% on the quote-unquote in-crowd I had to I learned to have grit, perseverance, discipline frankly from not getting into fights because I studied martial arts almost my entire life from a very very young age. So I faced adversity early on and I'm really grateful for it because it has made me what I am today. That's interesting. You know, I I also was bullied as a kid. I was bullied because I was fat. And it's interesting now that I have my own kids and it seems like fourth grade is kind of like where the bullying starts. And one of my kids was kind of being a little bit bullied for the way that she says things. She has a little bit of a hearing uh, impairment. And I was sitting down with the teacher and she goes to the same school that I went to in elementary school. And I was sitting down with the teacher who obviously is not the one that I had. <laughs> but uh, I was like, you know, Miss Teacher, the reality is that I got into physical altercations with, with kids when I was here at this elementary school. But I don't actually remember those or getting beat up or anything. But what I remember and what still stings me to this day are the words that were spoken to me, the mean words the hurtful things people said. Was that something you experienced? Oh, I don't remember the actual words. I just remember the moments. And uh, the reason I remember the moments is because they were so energetically charged. Hmm. What do you mean by that? Like very visually, I can remember, you know, a kid pushing me and spitting in my face. I can remember uh, not what was said in certain moments, but I can remember people making fun of me. I can remember... Um, being chased in in a very negative kind of way because I was afraid, hmm. but I don't remember what was said. Hmm. Interesting, but but there's something that 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 still sticks with you today, 
And does it serve you today? Do you, does, do you use some of that stuff? Thousand percent, thousand percent. How does it drive you? Uh, well, it, it clicked for me in college when I got a fresh start. I had an opportunity to reinvent myself, not to say that I was a different person, but just to change the perception. And that was the first time where all of a sudden I felt like I was the cool kid and I didn't necessarily care what about other people thought I was going to do me. And I think, you know, that's when people are finally getting to an age where they realize, hey, you're, you're in such a big pool now that it, there's not just one click. Like there's, there's, there's a situation in a group for really anyone and anything. And by the time I got out of, college that just that not being afraid of being rejected because I had felt rejected my entire life growing up by my peers. So that served me really well in sales. And just I, I was willing to work hard. I was willing to keep my head down and do the best that I thought I could. Cause I even remember as a kid thinking, all right, you're you're you may be having yours today, but I'm gonna be your boss someday. Ooh. <laughs> nice. I knew that nice. as a kid. Now when you went home, uh was there was home like a safe place then? Relative to everything else? Very much. That's awesome. That's awesome. Was there an ev- So you said that there was an event in college. Was it, a, was it a class? Was it something that you went to? Was it a person? I think it was just college in general. I, I joined the fraternity scene and just... Frat boy Jeff. Yeah. Frat, <laughs> the, the Jewish fraternity. So let's not get too excited. We were not that fratty. <laughs> was there anyone as a kid... You mentioned that you did martial arts, so it might be here. But was there, was there ever anyone who pushed you out of your comfort zone as a kid? I was, I, I think martial arts was a big part of that because I have been very athletic my entire life, but martial arts is where I really thrived. Uh, I mean, I studied for, gosh, probably 15 years, got a second degree black belt. And in, in, in this specific uh, studio, they didn't give kids black belts. It wasn't like a lot of the other studios out there were, eh, three years, you're a black belt. No, 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 no. It wasn't that way. So. When I got earned a black belt at a young age, I was in the adults class. I was having to spar with 30, 40, 50 year olds who were incredibly advanced and they were, you know, much stronger than me. So I was never at an advantage. What kind of confidence did that give you? A lot because if you can hold your own at that level, just when I step back into this world that was school at the time, I just I had a different perspective. I had always been surrounded by people who were older than me, wiser than me, smarter than me, better than me. And I just knew that that day would come for me as well, which is why I said, like, you know, I was able to have a longer term perspective about this may be the current state, but one day the tables will turn. You know, that's fascinating. So you, you faced rejection as a kid in the classroom and in the play playground, you had to fight against, spar against people that were much stronger than you, at least the way that you may have perceived them initially. And, and yet you earned a second degree black belt just alongside them. How did you carry that over? And how do you carry those two things over into your professional life today as an entrepreneur? Uh, well, first was the idea of setting a goal. So many kids set their goal on something, but when it doesn't go their way, when they begin to face adversity, they give up and they go a different direction. When I was, you know, four or five, when I started studying martial arts and I said, I want to be a black belt someday, you know, for it to take the amount of time it took me to earn that, it just, that was the first time I had set a really big goal that didn't just come in a year or less. You know, we're talking over a decade 
Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. to stick with something for that long was really interesting. But the idea of discipline to to understand how to check your emotions, especially in moments where you might be getting bullied or feeling threatened, to to have a bigger picture than to react, but to, to actually respond. Reaction is something that just happens in the moment, but a response requires a choice to learn to respond to, to reactions with a, with a bigger perspective was something that I learned there that absolutely has served me since. That is, that is a powerful distinction. Reaction versus response. And I talk about that all the time. I, I use Viktor Frankl as an example mm-hmm. who talks about the space between the stimulus and the response and how that space can either be heaven or it can be hell. And it's totally within our control in terms of how we react. And I just posted a video recently on Instagram that I was, I was inspired by a poster my dad has in his office that says, keep calm and adjust fire. And, and he's a Vietnam vet, army ranger. And you know, they're, they're, he's, you're getting bullets, literal, literal bullets slung at you uh, downrange. And you have to remain calm and you have to pivot and you have to control your response because if you react, obviously you're going to react in the normal human way, which is to fight, flight, or, or freeze, you know? And, and that's how people die. That's how people get hurt. Um, so, so we're kicking off this, this comeback series, which will feature entrepreneurs who, like you, have had the carpet pulled out from underneath them and their families just as, as, they, as things seem like they're going swimmingly. And then they're forced to make a pivot. Why do you think that we as human beings are fascinated by the comeback? This is something that I didn't. I learned through experience. It's not like I set out to to prove this right or wrong. I think there is a narrative in our society today that we have to be perfect, and we project perfection out into the world. Here's an example: go on social media. You don't see people who are body conscious taking pictures with their shirts off. You see people sucking it in. You see them making duck faces. You see them holding cameras at certain angles to make it more uh, attractive. People try to portray this image of perfection. But the truth is you do not relate to any single person through their success or through their perfection. You relate to other people through their struggle. Well, the reason we enjoy the comeback is because it tells us that we're not alone in the fact that you know, we've got some baggage. We've got problems. We're struggling. There are other people out there who are like us, who have big dreams yet are facing adversity on a daily basis, and it makes us feel like we're not alone. When did you realize that the struggle was what you could relate to? It was when I launched my first podcast, The Mentee. I knew at that point in time in my life, if I ever wanted to accomplish my goals, and this is after the rug really got pulled out from me, under me, I needed to surround myself with people who are where I wanted to be. It was based on that Jim Rohn quote, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. I had, I had wanted to be a business owner, yet I had done very well in the corporate space. I was making a, a, a good living in medical devices and then witness a colleague have a stroke and my income gets slashed by 40% within a week of each other, realizing that I need to make a change. And I launched this podcast as a way to document my journey, as a way to just record the conversations with my mentors. Yet there came a time where one of those conversations that I was recording, we started talking about something that was incredibly intimate, something very personal. 
they would have required a tremendous amount of vulnerability to share with thousands of people. I remember in that moment of whether or not I, I felt like I could share it. I said, if, if you're struggling this much to share it, then you must because there's somebody else who needs this more than you. And I took a leap of faith and I published it. What happened over the next few weeks was really remarkable because I had never experienced so many people that I had never met who came out of the woodwork to email me either A, to say, thank you, this helped me, rock on, or B, to share their story of where they were and how it helped them. It was at that exact moment that I realized that the greatest power I could possibly have being the man behind the mic was vulnerability. Not to say that I'm your guru, not to say that I'm an expert, but to say that I'm just like you and I'm struggling. The difference is I'm, I'm, I am very committed to making a change and I'm going to record the whole damn thing. <laughs> you know, I, I love the concept of vulnerability as, as a sign of strength and not weakness. I mean, if you look at any epic movie, any, any film that inspires us, I think about like something like the Band of Brothers, one scene in particular where they're, they have one of their fellow soldiers is pinned down, shot by a sniper, and the other people in his unit are taking cover behind a wall. And one of them breaks out into the open and runs out there and grabs his, his, his teammate and yanks him back into safety. And that is when we watch that happening, we perceive that as strength and courageous. And, but really, you know, it required that person to not only have courage, but also to put his life on the line. And that establishes credibility, which is what you did. You put, you put it out there. And suddenly that establishes credibility. How can we do more of that every day in our interactions and our relationships? I well, this that's a great question. I think we need to drop our ego more. And, and this comes down to some advice a mentor was shared with me, which was that I needed to be more interested than interesting. And here's what this meant. In moments of forming relationships with other people, when we meet somebody for the first time, especially somebody that we perceive to be ahead of us, we often want to get them to be interested in us. So we will you know, maybe stand up a little straighter. We'll try to uh, make ourselves sound better than maybe we are. We might rattle our resume off. We may try to impress them. We try to get them to be interested in us. The challenge is, think about a time somebody ever came up to you and just started talking about themselves. Does this ever <laughs> happen to you, Mike? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, what'd you think about that person? Yeah, I turned it off about 10 seconds in. Correct, if, he, if they even made it that long. Right. Truth is, people care about themselves. And Mike, have you ever had an experience where somebody came up to you and they just seemed to be genuinely interested in you? Absolutely. They asked questions about you. Mm -hmm. How did you feel about them? It was, those are the best conversations that you can have. You know, that, that somebody's interested in your struggles and your successes and learning from you. It, it's humbling, to be honest. And this is exactly what it is. In those moments in relationships, that vulnerability is sometimes not showing your ego, not leading with how great you are, but calming all of that and being interested in them. And in those moments when the attention is reflected on you, like I, I did not expect the questions you were going to ask me today. I've never been asked this on an interview. But in those moments, to not overthink it, to drop the ego and, and answer honestly, with heart and sincerity. Yeah. And people, will, people connect in those moments. 
I'm I'm really big into words and and you just used a word you just said heart and and heart is the etym- etymological origin of the word courage. So courage literally means to have heart and you have a great deal of it and and which is why you have landed where you've landed and and I I am starting to refer to setbacks and failures or hiccups as uh, as what Rob Ross, the famous painter, refers to as happy accidents, you know. So you got rocked in the medical device company. Then you started the podcast, the Mentee Podcast, to gain access to unbelievable mentors and elevate your five. And then you pivoted to the one thing from that. How did you know that the one thing would become your one thing? I didn't, and this is probably one of the greatest lessons I've learned over the last few years is the importance of when, when it comes to being interested instead of interesting, being interested in the breadcrumbs that are in front of you. So every single one of us, every single one of you that's listening to this, you have big goals for your life, yet you're not quite sure what actions to take today that would guarantee that you end up where you want to end up. The truth is though, that every single day there are breadcrumbs that are laid right in front of you that if you were to just pick one up and analyze it and then take then pick up the next one and the next one and the next one you would end up being led down this path that would get you to where you want to go i recognized i needed to make a change and so i became very interested in studying the people who were already where i wanted to be i was willing to go wherever i needed to go to meet these people i was willing to do whatever they told me to do and by just simply picking up those breadcrumbs, you know, when a guy like Jay Papazan, who co-authored The One Thing with Gary Keller, who started Keller Williams, the largest real estate company in the world, when I have a chance to interview Jay, I'm going, all right, I want to build a relationship. How can I add value? And he gave me a way. He said, I, I'm looking for more exposure for our books. So I got him booked on a bunch of other shows. I said, how can I add value to you? He said, uh, we're all good, man, but we're just looking for more exposure. So I proactively wrote an article for entrepreneur.com about the book. And without even asking again, I started doing a big social media push around the article as a way to get, get more exposure for the book. And all of a sudden, I'm, I see Jay and Gary retweeting my tweets. So being more interested, again, I asked Jay, what are you working on? How can I help you? And he says, we're looking for a CEO for a new company. And being more interested than interesting, I said, let's get on the phone so I can learn what you're looking for and connect you with my Rolodex because I'm a super connector. And when I got on the phone with Jay and he told me what they were looking for, I was shocked because he did not describe a single person in my Rolodex. He described me. So what were some of the characteristics he laid out? Someone with a strong sales background, with a finance background, who understood content marketing. I had a hardcore sales background. I worked for Xerox doing copier sales, moved up really fast. Then I got into medical device sales and had a very successful career there. I studied accounting. I was an accounting TA. I went to work for one of the big firms in accounting. Like that, There's my finance background. And then I had started a podcast that I turned into a six-figure business in under a year. Sales background, finance, content marketing. And so how did you, how did you pivot then? So, so he wasn't obviously... The solution was right in front of him. So how did you, how did you present that? I said, I got some ideas. Let me call you back in a few days. <laughs> I hung up the phone, sat in my car in silence for five minutes, which never happens. Walked into my house, looked at my wife and said, I just had a phone call. I think everything's about to change and I wouldn't be surprised if we moved to Texas. And before my wife could say, what? I said, hold on. And I ran into my office and recorded what just happened because I knew something was going to come out of this. 
And that audio ended up being used in episode 57 of The Mentee. I called Jay back two weeks late, or a few days later and said, I honestly was connecting to learn what you were looking for so I could connect you to the people in my Rolodex. But the truth is, the person you're looking for is me. So what are the next steps? And what did he say? He said, we have a process for that. And they sure did have a process because it you know, took five months to be vetted and to go through it. But I ended up being offered the job and I took that leap, you know, quitting a quote-unquote secure corporate job to start a company, move my family halfway across the country for it. How has your relationship with your family changed through this process, specifically with your wife? Well, I'll tell you, starting a business on the side while holding down a full-time job was very, very challenging. I recorded a few conversations where I'm literally interviewing my wife saying, what has it been like for you having me do work a full-time job and start a business on the side? And I'll never forget when she said, I can count the number of times that I have fallen asleep next to you and woken up next to you combined on my two hands in the last year. You know, to hear it, it absolutely puts strain on us. But then, you know, I come here to Austin to start this company with Gary and Jay. And right away, I'm told that working long hours will not be rewarded here. While we are a startup, while you know it's going to require hard work, if I'm here past 5 p.m. consistently, people will judge me because they will think that my priorities are out of order. And I have point blank heard Gary Keller in one of our masterminds say, working harder, working more hours is cheating because you can continue to do the wrong things and muscle your way through it. But what you end up doing is you cheat yourself out of what it means to actually live a life. The most extraordinarily successful people, not just in terms of money, not just in terms of business, but in terms of life, understand that there is a certain amount of time a day that they will allow themselves to focus on business and they hold themselves accountable to being as productive and effective as possible in those, in those hours. And then it's time to shut it down and to go enjoy the things that matter most. So that is very counterintuitive to what you hear quite a bit in the entrepreneurial world today. And you yourself as a medical device salesman was, I'm sure the grind was was a, a key factor in your success and being on call at any given moment to go into a surgery, surgical room and deliver your product. Was that hard for you to adapt? Well, I was unfortunate in, this, in the sense that I didn't have to call on the OR really. So I wasn't on call. Uh, I, m- my second device, I did have, have some OR exposure, specifically brain surgeries, but it was, I was never on call. Everything was scheduled. So I got to control my schedule. But you're right in the sense it was my work ethic that allowed me to be so successful. What's interesting now that I've been living and working with Gary and Jay for a year, living the one thing, like wrestling with what it means to be a productive person. I now look back on what I was doing in medical sales and, and a lot of it was cheating. I just, I just muscled my way to a result versus being effective. This episode is brought to you by the Lawton Marketing Group a full-service advertising and design agency specializing in websites, social media, apps, logos, and more. Based in Oklahoma, they work with clients across the nation from small businesses to large corporations and everything in between. You can find them right now on the web at www.lawtonmg.com or call them at 580-275-2063. Connect with them now for a complimentary competitive analysis of your website. Just tell them the impact entrepreneur told you to call. 
What's the most surprising thing when in being surrounded by those two men, Jay and Gary, that what's the most surprising thing you've learned about them? That an assumption that you might have had that that actually proved to be wrong. Ah, oh, you know what? Not the answer I was originally going to give. How good of guys they are. There is a narrative that is held in certain cultures that the people who achieve really high levels of business success, financial wealth, that they're bad people, that maybe they've done things that aren't ethical to get there. Jay Papazan is the most exceptional human being I've ever met in my life. And I have never, ever met anybody who thinks as big and as much about other people as Gary Keller. The man legitimately thinks about every interaction he has, how he can leave the right legacy. Like he, he's been thinking this way for so long that if you go to the Austin airport and if you, you know, you could end up checking your bags at one of the, the airlines and, and they, this actually happened where a Keller Williams agent was flying back and they saw the Keller Williams bag tag and the guy checking the bag said, do you know Mr. Keller? He said, well, I mean, I don't know him personally, but I know of him. And he said, oh, I met Mr. Keller. He was amazing. <laughs> Gary thinks in every interaction, you know, what's the experience that somebody's having with me? What's the legacy that I want to leave? How do I want people to think about me? And he brings that mentality into his business, into his partnerships, into his relationships with people. And it's evident. He leaves money on the table because he cares about making sure that people get their fair share. Mm. It's really interesting. I did not expect that. So what have you taken from that? And, and, and applied it into the relationships that you are building and developing in terms of assumptions? Uh, that more so, and this is in combined with Jay's always, um, this has been a real growth opportunity for me now that I actually have people that report to me, now that I'm running the company, recognizing that every single one of us wants to look good and wants to feel good. And when you have people who are in your world and they report to you, there are going to be people who do not perform recognizing it doesn't make them a bad person. It doesn't mean that they're not talent. It's just that they're not talent for that specific role. And in the moments when you do need to make changes and you do need to part ways, it's not about bashing them down. It's how can you part ways amicably so that they feel like they look good and that they feel good about what just happened. You know, when I was interviewing people for my executive assistant position, the number of people that I had to turn away who were thanking me was remarkable. And it's because I had been handed the playbook on how we hire and how we treat people. What, so how do you do that? How do you go about firing somebody, for lack of a better word, and, and making them feel like a star in the process? Well, it's, 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 it's about making it their idea. You know, I just went through a situation where uh, I had hired a guy to run the business behind the mentee because my one thing's the one thing. They want me to be the face of the one thing. I can't have two things. So I needed to bring somebody else in to run that podcast, which I did successfully. And then I needed to bring somebody else in on the back end to run the business. When I looked at what the job description was for that person, and we define a job description as the two to three things somebody must be able to do exceptionally well, otherwise they get fired, which is a different way of looking at it. But when I looked at what those things were, number one, they had to be able to cast a vision for the business. It can't be my ideas. I needed somebody who could think big and cast a vision and execute on it. Number two, I needed somebody who could lead with revenue. I needed somebody who could drive the revenue of the company because that was not going to be my job. And number three, I needed somebody who could build engaged communities. And I got into business with a guy who seemed qualified to do that. 
And over, you know, almost a year, it became apparent that there was resistance to leading with revenue. And uh, it came to the point where we had an honest conversation. I said, there's no right or wrong answer here. I want what's best for you, whether that's you being in this organization or you being elsewhere. But I want you to think about what actually makes you happy. Would you be happy? Would you be springing out of bed? Would you not even ever snooze because you are so excited to get up for what you're about to do? Would that happen if you were in charge of driving revenue for the company for the rest of your life? Take a weekend. Think about it. And if the answer is no, cool. But then it's about how do we find you the right opportunity? I made it a safe place and it's about him. Jay asked me this the other day. In the past year and a half, the number of times he has said something along the lines of me of, I would love for you to be the CEO of this company, but it doesn't have to be you. You know, you may wake up one day and realize that the, what we need to scale this company requires a completely different skill set than is yours. And in that moment, I hope you'll come to me and say, I'm not the guy. I'm going to go find the guy because you've earned a right to be in our world. There's no question about it. It's about what's the right fit for you. When you have those conversations with Jay or with Gary, does that make you anxious when they're, does that make you question, wonder, are they questioning my capability or, or they just, is it just a check-in? No, because NJ says, make no mistake about it. Like you're doing great. So don't think that this is punitive or anything. This is about you being honest with where your strengths are. And if those strengths are the strengths of the CEO of this business, Hmm. there, I will be a founder of this company. And ultimately what's the title that I want anyway? It's not CEO. I want to be, I want to be a founder because the goal as CEO of any business and should be, well, at least for me, is to ultimately become so successful and bring so much talent into my world that there is somebody who can replace me so that I can one day just be on the board. And my job is to nurture that CEO or my job is to go find the CEO for that next company. That's what Gary did. Yeah. No, I mean, it's interesting. You you mentioned the title thing. I just interviewed Lou Holtz. uh, Oh, yeah. he, He talked about one of the things he said that the president of the University of Notre Dame called him up and said, hey, we're going to name you head coach of the University of Notre Dame football team. But let me be clear. The title of head coach is just a title. Your players will determine if you're a leader. Mm. And it's the same thing. It's the same thing with what you're talking about. I mean, a title, whether it's CEO, whether it's founder, it's just a title. The community that you're building is going to determine whether that title means anything. Mm-hmm. Gary shared his definition of leadership, which is a true leader teaches people to think so they can get what they want when they want to get it. Mm. I'll say that again. They teach people how to think so they can get what they want when they want to get it. Whether you have people who report to you directly, whether they are people who are just in your life. Are you the type of person who is teaching the people that you care about how to think so they can have everything they could possibly want when they want it? If so, you will find yourself living a very wealthy life, not just financially, but in terms of true richness. Dude, that is incredibly powerful. It's along the lines of what Zig Ziglar used to say, which is you can have anything you want in life if you help others get what they want in life. And I mean, it's so true. It's the whole concept of giving. 
Mm-hmm. You know, it's just going to come back to you tenfold. You know, one of the things you've talked a couple times about in our conversation today is is goals and time. And one of the things that the One Thing book talks about and you and the organization at large uh, talks quite a bit about are, are the importance of setting big, hairy, audacious goals. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people get intimidated by the thought of, of setting a big, hairy, audacious goal because it's so hard. You can easily see the, the end in mind, right? You can, you can have that end goal, whether it's a, a physical goal or a financial goal or a spiritual goal, but actually reverse engineering the steps to achieve that goal is, is what stops people on their tracks. What have you learned about the process since taking over the one thing? Well, you nailed it. And you already said it, which is there is a process. Gary is a master of systems. He is a he he constantly, he really is a student, a consummate student. He is constantly looking out in the world, studying all of these models, and then creating his own systems. And every single day he wakes up and his goal is to break the system. And when it breaks, he reinvents it. Like he'll ask, what's the business that's gonna put us out of business? And how do I go build it first? I've seen it happen time and time again with how he reinvents Keller Williams or how he encourages his leaders to reinvent Keller Williams. But um, he shared this in a mastermind last week. And it's that the number one cause of underachievement is not having overachieving goals. I'll say that again. The number one cause of underachievement is not having overachieving goals. We just don't believe that we can actually accomplish a goal when we set it. And part of that reason is we've never been taught how to look into the future, cast a vision, set a goal, and then put a plan into place to actually get there. Gary figured that out. What is a big, hairy, audacious goal that you have, whether it's personal or, or with regard to the one thing? And what are you doing to reverse engineer those small steps? Sure. In the last week, I did something that we call goal setting to the now. I gave myself permission to look way out into the future and wave a magic wand with the, with the notion that anything I think I can achieve, I will receive no resistance. Everything that I put out here can come true. What really matters to me? What do I want to accomplish? I want us to be the number one authority in the world when it comes to managing your time, when it comes to productivity. I want us to be the number one corporate training company in the world when it comes to employee productivity. And I want us to create a technology education platform that teaches people how to master their time. These are really, really big goals. Mm-hmm. But then I work backwards. And I ask, all right, what would we have to accomplish in five years for me to feel like we're on track for that someday? A lot of people, when they do these first two steps, like the someday and the five day, they're looking for that quick, immediate answer. Don't. Sit with it. Wrestle with it. For days. For weeks. Come back to it. This is what I mean by you've never been taught how to set goals. Because it's not easy. You got to think about it. Each one of those things that you mentioned has their own one thing that you need to focus on. Sure. Sure, sure. Well, we'll we'll get there. So you get your five year, then you cast your one year. What do I need to do this year? If I did that, I'd feel like I was on track for my five. And then we have a process called a four one one, which is an actual tool that we use that we train people with that just 
make sure that every single day when you show up to work, you know exactly what you need to do that if you just did that consistently for the year, you'd accomplish your goals for the year. I love it. It's powerful. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's game-changing. Yeah. Well, when, when I'm testing it right now, because we're, we're developing a membership training platform, and I pre-sold it a few weeks ago to a group of people. I'm calling them our founding members because they're literally going to be the foundation for this platform that we create. We're teaching them the 411. And every week, we're holding their hand as we work through it. And I'm, I, we're talking about very seasoned business people who are in this group. Some of them, you know, multimillionaires. And they're saying comments like, for once in my life, I actually believe I can achieve my goals. Once I got it down into this system, like I actually felt like I could do this. They actually feel like they have that priority. They know what they need to be doing. It's really powerful. You know, one of the things you talked about, you, you mentioned that J, uh, Gary is thinking about what company is going to put us or what industry is going to put us out of business and how can we start a company there first. He has a day one mentality. He has the same mentality that Jeff Bezos has with Amazon in terms of treating every day like it's the first day. Oh, he'll burn the whole ship down if he needs to in, in to, to make a change. I mean, it's, it's a powerful, powerful mindset and a, and a critical mindset in order to remain relevant and not get complacent with your success. Exactly. And you just look at what's happening with all the modern monopolies today. They're all platforms. They're all technology platforms. Uber, Airbnb, Facebook. They don't create anything. They're a platform that facilitates a core transaction. Facebook facilitates connection. Uber facilitates, you need ride, I give you a ride. Airbnb facilitates, you need a roof over your head. Gary looked up in the real estate space and said, okay, what are we going to do? Like, We can't just be this real estate training and education company, which is how they've identified for you know, 30 years. We now have to become a technology company. Otherwise, we will die. And they're shifting everything. That's fascinating. I mean, it's a huge organization making that kind of a pivot. And it's because they're willing to innovate. It's, they're willing to, to, to look, at, look at what's out there and turn the ship and turn the ship quickly in order to save the passengers. And let's be clear, they're number one in the world. They're the largest real estate company in the world. The number one company in the industry is willing to burn the ships down and reinvent itself. Here's, here's, here's the, the aha moment slash the accountability moment. Take a moment and look yourself in the mirror. Are you waking up every single day living your calling? Are you trading your life every single day for something of value? And if not, what would you need to do to reinvent yourself? Now, all those limiting beliefs that just crept up, I can't do that. I have bills. Blah, 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 blah. Put them aside. If that was taken care of, if that was all done, how would you reinvent yourself? If, if no matter what you did, you would succeed, what would you do? Hmm. Silence the doubt. Yeah, no, that, that, is, that is critical. And it actually ties in perfectly with what, what's going to be my concluding question uh, for our conversation today, which has to do with passion. Because passion is another one of those buzzwords, but people don't really understand what the word passion actually means. And I'm really into words, as I mentioned earlier. And passion means the willingness to suffer for something. And so I want to know, what Jeff Woods is willing to suffer for. 
<sighs> because that, that ultimately, what you just said, requires someone to be willing to suffer for something. Yeah. I am willing to suffer to leave a legacy, to make an impact. I, I had a good fortune of having a mentor walk me through an exercise to identify my values, meaning the things that I absolutely had to have in my life, otherwise it wasn't a life worth living. And some of those were deep, meaningful relationships, uh, feeling the sensation of growth, making an impact. These are things that I will fight for. I will endure through hardship, through struggle, through adversity, because I know that on the other side, if I can have and nurture those deep, meaningful relationships, if I can truly feel like I am growing and sharpening the saw, if I can make an impact and improve people's lives to leave that legacy, that would be living a life on fire for me. Jeff, that is a powerful response, man. And this has been a really great conversation, an insightful conversation. I think a different conversation than you've had with many of the other uh, podcasts where you've been a guest, where we kind of peeled peeled back the veil, so to speak, and got inside of Jeff Wood's head and figured out a little bit about what makes him tick and how he's using that, how you are using that, speak to you in uh, (laughs) in the proper tense, how you are using that to drive the growth and the trajectory of the of the one thing alongside Gary and Jay. What what a tremendous opportunity and challenge you're faced with. And I want to thank you for joining us for the second time on the Impact Entrepreneur Show. I appreciate it, Mike. Thanks, man. Where can we uh, send our, our audience to learn more about what you're doing, to learn more about the one thing and, and any other resources that you would have them uh, uh, gather? Sure. Well, you know, the the first, since you're already a podcast listener, is to subscribe to the One Thing podcast. And that's all spelled out, the O-N-E thing podcast. This was if I, I looked up at the beginning of this year and I said, if I could only do one thing, what's the one thing I can do such that by doing it would make everything else easier or unnecessary for our business? And it was to launch that show. Because so many of you have read the book you can, and people go, oh, amazing book. You know, it's the highest rated business book of all time. It's a really good book. Yet you struggle to live it. And I realized if I could do, provide, take you kind of behind the scenes and guide you every week on what it meant to actually live a life of purpose, a life of priority, a life of productivity so that you could ultimately live a life of profit fills those value buckets that I showed earlier. So um, that, that's, that, that is the one thing. And then our, our website's theonething.com. Awesome. Thank you again, Jeff. I, I, the book is phenomenal. And I couldn't imagine the company having a more passionate leader behind the helm, taking it to where it needs to go. Don't forget about the awesome gifts I've created for you, the Clarity of Purpose Scorecard and the Six Bridges to Personal Growth and Well-Being. Head over to theimpactentrepreneur.net forward slash scorecard and download those resources today. And I will email you the Six Bridges and a link where you can go and purchase a killer hat. Jeff, thank you for your honesty and vulnerability. You are a driven individual and I know your desire to have an impact in the lives of others will produce great fruit. If you've missed any of the key points, we've got you covered over at theimpactentrepreneur.net forward slash 59, 
for all the key points, highlights, and resources that Jeff mentioned in our conversation. And while you're there, be sure to check out the Lot Marketing Group and the Podcast Masters. We could not do this show without them. Until next time, go make an impact.